Hi again, it's Charlie O'Shields back with another episode of Sketching Stuff. The current events we're facing have been very stressful and the world is suddenly a very different place than the one we knew just weeks ago. I hope everyone out there is staying safe and healthy during these times. We're living in a moment when uncertainty abounds and that often brings a lot of anxiety. So I thought I would assemble a little collection of stories all about love and hope. As many of you know, I'm a devout optimist. I believe that bad things will eventually pass and that together we can make a brighter future. And as artists, we have the power to make things that make people smile and bring lots of joy, even during stressful times. I've always loved the healing properties of art, but it's more important now more than ever. Both the act of making art and the act of sharing it with the world creates so much happiness. While many of us find ourselves at home more these days, I hope you'll make time to sketch and paint, or indeed, indulge in whatever creative hobby you enjoy most. These are exceptional times, but we can all get through them together while sketching love and hope. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. Finding a Pearl For a prompt at beach recently, I decided to sketch a clamshell with a pearl inside. It would indeed be rather lucky to stumble across something like this on the beach, but mostly I just think pearls are really pretty and wanted to paint one. And though I have no plans to visit a beach in the future, it's always wonderful to visit one in the pages of my sketchbook. Our world is certainly struggling at the moment, and headline after headline only makes things appear more grim. But as a devout optimist, I have to look for all those little pearls in life that remind me that there's always a way to focus on happy things. Indeed, making art is one of the best ways I can imagine to both create and share joy and hope with the world. So I'm just going to keep right on sketching and taking each day as it comes, always looking for those bright spots of hope and happiness which artists everywhere are creating each and every day. Today I was back to running far behind on things as I had to stop and do taxes in the middle of everything. Well, compile everything to hand to a person who actually does our taxes because I don't do math things or understand weirdly written rules. Truly, my brain is the exact opposite of the one that created tax forms. I can't understand a word of it. It's like a forgetful mathematician and a misprogrammed robot wrote down their live, unedited conversation on the fly. And the outcome of the exercise is always a touch depressing these days as well. There are some things in the world that I simply can't avoid. And yet I still find myself in a very happy mood. Philippe and I are enjoying a longer bit of daylight and the evening seems quite fabulous. We're enjoying our little routines at home and blocking out the rest of the world for a moment. It's a blissful moment indeed. Life can get a bit crazy, so taking time to pause and focus on the happy things is the best way I can live it. When I was a kid, I was perfectly oblivious to all of the horrible things that were happening in the world. My parents kept me well protected from the bits of gloom and doom that kept cropping up. As an adult, I now have to protect myself. I have to understand the world for what it really is and then make my best decisions from there. In my heart, 
I want to fix all of the problems, but I know I can only do my small part. So that's what I do each and every day. I do what I can to make a tiny difference. It's not really that much, I guess, but I have to believe that even one positive place in the world can make a change somehow. And though I could get caught up in the chaos I can't control, I choose to look past it and focus on the things I can control. All the while, searching for that bit of shimmer in the distance where I just might end up finding a pearl. On the edge of a dream. Once for a prompt of puppy, I thought about how curious and excited puppies always seem. And yes, I spent more time than I should have caught in an endless loop of cute puppy videos, which I deemed as research. Puppies are just sort of thrilled by the world in general, and they aren't easily bored. I have to believe that's a perfect mindset for all types of makers. I've always found that when I'm looking at the world with the eyes of a child or a little puppy, I'm seeing stuff I'd otherwise miss little details that I might skip past, catch my eye, and I see things that had gone previously unnoticed. And this boosts my creativity as well, making me dream about ideas that might appear on paper. So I thought about that energetic little puppy, ready to discover everything the world has to offer, taking just the briefest of moments to stop and enjoy life. What I've personally found to be true for me is that my dreams happen only in those pauses in between frantically trying to get all of my projects completed. So I always make time to pause and study the world and enjoy its wonders. Today it's not all a view of spring where I live. It's been snowing the entire day instead. Initially, I was just going through the usual paces of checking the weather to see if it's going to accumulate or ice over or make driving a pain in the butt. Yet. Then I looked up from my digital forecast and just watched the snowfall. I could see that beautiful dance of those snowflakes as the wind takes over and creates an ever-changing choreography. Swirling patterns that simply weren't visible just the moment before and will disappear just as quickly. So instead of fussing over forecasts and spoiling the end of the story, I put down my phone and decided to be a part of it. I grabbed my coat and went outside to just stand in the falling snow. With no kids around at my downtown office, the streets were empty and I was able to enjoy a private and peaceful moment with nature. I studied each bit of falling snow, the shadows and colors I'd missed in the seemingly gray sky, and took my chance to enjoy a front row seat for a splendid performance. Yeah, I've seen falling snow my whole life, but today it was like the first time again. Soon, I found I was no longer alone as a disgruntled man rushed past me, his face contorted with that sense of urgency that seems to lack any definable purpose. I stepped back, but kept my gaze upward. I wasn't bothered by the intrusion and was content with keeping my focus. Seconds later, I could sense that the man had stopped nearby, and I glanced over to see him looking up as well. No doubt he was wondering what on earth it was I was looking at so intently. I assumed he'd ask me a question about the same, but instead he just smiled and nodded. Those eyes that had burned with a fervor almost mean in their intensity were completely different now, softer and just a bit hopeful. 
They were puppy dog eyes. We both stood there for a moment before the man nodded again and continued on his way, a touch slower than before, and I swear I saw a bit of a spring in his step. Or perhaps I was simply imagining something a bit more grand, as one often does when standing on the edge of a dream. Back when we all watched the same TV shows. When considering a prompt of something you miss once, I was flooded with lots of options. In many cases, the things that came to mind were practically impossible to illustrate. For example, in many ways, I miss the bits of the 20th century I lived through, but I stopped to consider exactly why that might be the case. Though there are many reasons, the one that jumped to mind first was that I really loved a time when everyone was watching the same shows on television. This might seem an odd thing to wax nostalgic on, but those days came with something that's missing today. A feeling of commonality that even gave complete strangers something to talk about the next day. So of course I had to Google the most watched television shows of all time and not surprisingly, all of the shows on the list were from the 20th century. In this century, we can watch whatever we like whenever we choose, which is on the surface a wonderful thing indeed. But instead of asking someone what they thought of Seinfeld last night, we ask, what are you watching now? And when you mention the show you're currently watching, you often get a reply of, oh yeah, that sounds so cool, I haven't started it yet. So conversations dip back into chit-chat and talking about totally meaningless things like the weather instead. I miss the days when we all had something in common. It's far from surprising that even the youngest among us flocked to various things from the previous century. Those cool record players and VHS tapes are so wonderfully tangible. And in so many ways, I'm quite happy with the counterculture of making physical things from scratch that keeps coming back again and again. While the digital world affords possibilities that didn't exist in the last century, it creates an odd dynamic. One where our connection comes from the method we use to connect and not the stories that are told there. Facebook? That's so dead now. It's my parents' thing. I'm on Snapchat. Do you still use Instagram? I just look at the stories and hop off now. Kinda cool, but if you want to know what's happening right now, you better check out Twitter. And yet, many of us who tried social media at the very beginning can still wax nostalgic about it as well. It was such a wonderful thing to connect to family and friends and make new friends across the globe. Then the algorithms change so nobody sees the things we post now to make room for ads and celebrities. The same celebrities who used to reach us by default when they appeared on a television show everyone was watching. Social media itself has become the new television, the place where we can at least talk about whatever is trending at the moment in hopes the other person might actually know what we're talking about. One of the original people who had a hand in creating Instagram, Bailey Richardson, left the company and said, it feels like we're all addicted to a drug that doesn't get us high anymore. Though this all sounds like a bit of a downer, I have to believe it simply means there's a wonderful turnaround coming next. It makes my heart so happy to see the younger generations embracing bits of the past and finding them cool again. We've always done that as a culture throughout history, but this is the first time in history where reaching backward comes with a choice of something tangible versus purely digital. 
I love all things digital. Even as a kid, I geeked out on my Commodore 64, but I sometimes missed the bulky cartridges that reminded me I was actually going into a different world. Yet happily, today at least, it's often hard to feel like an old person once you've embraced technology. And no matter what you're into, you can always find your tribe online somewhere. But I guess I truly liked it better when we were all part of the same tribe, back when we all watched the same TV shows. The Age of Innocence When I think of innocence, babies come to mind, but since I don't paint people, baby animals were my next choice. Not knowing how to choose between a puppy and a kitten, I ended up with one of each. Looking at babies is a wonderful reminder that no matter how much we think we might know today, we were all perfectly innocent once. Each new little thing was a total wonder that could be exciting or even a bit scary. Growing up was actually a slow process that contained lessons to be learned both in and out of a proper school setting. Leaving high school or college, I was deemed ready for the world, whatever that meant, and told to go forth and conquer life. It was as if all of the teaching abruptly stopped and suddenly it was time to bounce through life without a guide. I remember this moment when I was young. A part of me was exhilarated by the chance to forge my own path, and another part, of rather equal size, was scared as hell. My confidence side won out, so I could proceed, but I made so many ridiculous mistakes back then that I could have hardly qualified as ready for the world. I'm not entirely sure the world was even ready for me but it was all part of the wonderful journey of life and I'm thrilled to have bumbled my way through it all. Today, I often feel like I'm still a student of life. I've not mastered its crazy idiosyncrasies and find myself still bumbling at various times along the way. I still spend an inordinate amount of time dreaming of possibilities. I know I should expend more studious attention to completing the ideas I already have brewing, but that next idea is always right there waiting to be developed. This has plagued me my entire life, and it was something that, at one point, I desperately wished I would simply grow past. Now approaching 50, I can say without a doubt that this is simply part of who I am and not something that will ever change. And I'm now rather thrilled by this fact. I adore that the process of growing up didn't actually rob me of those very qualities that made me unique. And while meeting hundreds of artists around the world, I've learned that I'm not really all that unique at all. And that makes me happier still. It's wonderful to know that I'm not alone in this journey of art and life. While it's tough enough to grow into adulthood, becoming an artist of any kind is like starting all over again. I'm less than five years into my art journey. So yeah, in art years, I'm a toddler. I'm just a little five-year-old boy who is still trying to learn everything as he goes along. Sharing my art with the world online opened new possibilities, which I've adored, and also a world of things that constantly change and have to be learned and relearned as well. It can all get a little overwhelming at times and makes me feel like I'm actually that little boy again, starting at the very beginning and trying to figure out what step the world wants me to take next while balancing what my heart tells me I should do. And being back in that state is a very illuminating place to be. The answer is simple and has never really changed. I will always choose to follow my heart. 
not because it feels like a youthful and exciting transgression, but because it's the one thing I can say I've well and truly learned on this journey of life. I found the heart to be the truest teacher of them all. And there's really no age limit when it comes to the age of innocence. Like a swan. There's just something so beautiful about swans. The long, graceful necks and white plumage are certainly a draw, but for me, it's how they live their lives. The swans tend to mate for life, having only one partner during their entire lifespan, which can range from 20 to 30 years. While not quite the commitment of time one would face in human standards, it's still rather interesting. And though this is indeed an instinctual behavior born out of greater and greater success in producing little swans each year, there's a bit more going on than that. Reports of swans in captivity show that after a mate dies, the other swan becomes so despondent they'll stop eating and indeed, some actually die. Is it death by heartbreak? The truth is, we don't actually know. Many humans tend to think we're the only ones with the capacity for romantic love. But given the divorce rate in swans is less than 4%, I have to believe that we've still somehow failed to become masters. In truth, the idea of being with someone for life is the most romantic notion in the world. It's that fairy tale ending that we all grew up reading about in books. Philippe and I have been watching the show Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings, and it's so much fun. It's equally one big fat commercial for choosing Disney for one's upcoming nuptials, but since Philippe and I are already married, we just watch the show. The weddings are rather over the top, like one would expect, and makes it really fun to watch. What's truly intriguing, however, isn't the wedding itself, but all of the little sound bites that lead up to the big event the way that each person in a couple describes the other and why they love them. In short, it's always the exact same things. And when each person tells the camera why they love someone, it's like it's something that's only ever happened to them. I think that's when you know it's love. When a good feeling becomes something so personal that the words to describe it belong only to you and you alone. Philippe and I didn't have a big wedding, but instead got married on a hotel rooftop in Los Angeles with only our officiant present. We didn't suddenly elope or anything, this was by design. We didn't want to perform for a crowd and instead simply enjoyed something intimate on our own. And though we didn't go to Disneyland, we did spend the next day as VIP guests at Universal Studios Hollywood theme park, so we had our own fairy tale wedding in the end. Not to mention the fact that outside our hotel window there were tons of hummingbirds. And it's quite a big step to promise someone that you'll be with them until the day you die. Perhaps this is why some couples get the pre-wedding jitters. Of all the steps one can take in life, this is definitely one of the most important decisions. For Philippe and I, there really couldn't have been a better beginning to our story. And in my heart, I think we'll definitely make it to the very end. I know the world isn't really a fairy tale, but those only turned out happily ever after in the Disney forms. No, I don't want a life that's just like a fairy tale, but I wouldn't mind enjoying a long and happy life with the one I love, like a swan. 
smelling flowers. When I was a little kid and would see a butterfly landing gently on a flower, I used to always think it was simply stopping to smell it. I had no clue about how things in nature really worked yet, and life was full of simple solutions. I never thought much about what the bees were doing on the flowers, they just sort of terrified me, and so I would run away. But butterflies fascinated me, and I would stare at them endlessly, watching them smell those flowers. After careful observation, I realized they lacked a proper nose, so I felt a bit sad that for all of their efforts, they probably couldn't smell a thing. But I always appreciated the fact that they would keep trying. It was inspiring to me. Sure, I would soon learn about pollination and other important things, but I loved most those moments of not really knowing anything at all. Seeing something for the first time with fresh eyes and a lively imagination is really the best way to experience the world. Due to the decreasing number of butterflies thanks to human indifference, I don't see as many today as I did back then. But each time I'm lucky enough to see one, I still smile, remembering that world I used to believe in. It strikes me that no matter how much I learn, I don't ever want to feel like an expert. It's far more fun to fill in the blanks and decide for yourself how something should happen next. That's the best part of being an artist. We never have to stop believing in impossible things. And when things don't work like someone says they should, we can just invent our own reality. In fact, that's likely the very definition of an artist. If this sounds like you, then you're definitely one, even if you just picked up a brush for the very first time. I don't believe in becoming an artist. I truly think it's not a skill as much as a mindset that all of us had when we were kids. Perhaps we've just forgotten bits along the way. To me, it's as simple as being an artist and letting your mind and heart wander to places they want to go. I hope that anyone out there listening to this who has yet to hop in and share their watercolors with our community on doodlewash.com will stop and take a moment to do so. We'd love it if you'd share your heart with us. Feel confident and powerful in the fact that there's no such thing as a true artist, as that would imply there are people who aren't artists at all. That's simply not true. We are all artists. Some of us choose to do more than others, but that doesn't change the fact that we are all capable of making something new and wonderful. I built Doodle Wash with this idea in mind. A simple, yes, happily childish notion that the world doesn't need to be divided into silly categories. And I quickly realized that masters were simply the people who practiced more. There wasn't a secret ingredient beyond that. So in the end, we're all capable of imagining any world we like and being the artists I know we are, just like when we were young enough to ignore logic and live in a world where one might find butterflies smelling flowers. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories. Bye.